for all my women out there, I just want you to know that you are a boss. Women have to be at the table for technology and innovation. And if not, we'll simply create our own. Don't feel like you shouldn't be a part of the tech space just because there aren't many women in the room. That's exactly why we need you to be there. Girl, don't forget to rep your set in these tech spaces, AKA rep your culture. You are the face of technology and the face of the future. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 10 of the Women in Tech Global Podcast with your favorite host, me, Ariana. Um, so for those of you, it's your first time tuning in, the Women in Tech Podcast with Ariana is really about inspiring um, women to be in tech and not just this, to be in tech, but to um, be confident, right, about your projects, whatever technology and stuff that you're building um, and curate conversations about dope technology. Um, upcoming events. Um, one thing that's really different about our podcast outside of talking about the latest news in tech, we really want to make sure that we are empowering women to um, have access to tangible resources. So whether that's a local pitch competition or startup, um, we want you to have access to those resources so that way you can go to the next level within the tech industry. Um, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, um, whether you're on the uh, app right now or on Spotify, Tidal, um, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Make sure you subscribe, tune in right now. Um, we're available on nine different streaming platforms. Um, additionally, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys, but the Women in Tech podcast with Ariana is no longer a national podcast. We're global. We have listeners in eight different countries from the United Kingdom, Denmark, Germany, Canada, the U.S., France, Spain, and Italy. So we just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. Um, you make this podcast possible, right? And we're just so grateful that you guys take your time out to listen to this show and all of our awesome guests. And today we have a special one. Um, and yet, last little quick plug, if you want to connect with me, make sure you find my contact information on my website, wildwaytech.com slash podcast. Feel free to reach out to me, ask me questions, tell me who you want to be on the show, or maybe it's you and you want to be on the show. I'd love to hear from you, um, or maybe you have questions about today's podcast. Um, and then I want to give a quick shout out to my producer of this podcast, Cece. She's a phenomenal woman locally here in Grand Rapids, um, and I'll, actually, I'm going to post her information on our website, too, so if you guys want to contact the producer of this podcast, because maybe you have questions about producing your own, I think Cece would be um, a good connect for that. I didn't ask Cece to post her information, but <laughs> I just, like, came up with that on the fly, so we'll figure out what type of information she wants to share. Maybe it's her, her Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow her there. Um, okay, guys, so today, we have an amazing super extra special guest. This special guest is Naomi Cedar. Naomi is a world-renowned speaker and pioneer in the tech industry. Naomi is the chair of the Python Software Foundation, which is a nonprofit corporation that holds the intellectual property rights and manages the open source licensing for Python. Naomi is the co-founder of Transcode. Transcode is the UK United Kingdom's first hack event series Focus solely on drawing attention to transgender issues and opportunities. Phenomenal. Lastly, Naomi is the author of the Quick Python book, version 2.3. This book is filled with detailed instructions and exercises on how to code in Python. So if you're looking to learn how to code, um, Python is a great language to start. And make sure you support Naomi's book. We'll have information about that later. But Naomi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's truly an honor to have you. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Awesome. So excited to have you. So now, Naomi, tell our listeners, where are you currently? Where are you from? Um, just a little bit about yourself. Oh, uh, sure. So um, a long time ago, I grew up in central Nebraska. Uh, and then I've, I've been in various places, um, including a couple of years living in Greece, a couple of years living in the United Kingdom, uh, and other places like Indiana and Texas. But right now I'm based and have been for the past few years uh, in Chicago. Awesome. So you're in the Midwest with me. I'm in Grand Rapids. You're in Chicago. So we're not too far. <laughs> Very close. Awesome. That's great. Um, so Naomi is in Chicago, guys. For those of you who are some of our Chicago listeners, um, make sure that you, you know, connect with Naomi. I'll have her contact information and stuff on the website so you'll be able to connect with her there. So now, Naomi, let's get straight into it with this interview. Um, you know, you have a phenomenal story, and, you know, we, we have some great questions here for you today, but I really want to know, what has been your journey throughout technology? Like, starting from the earliest memory of when you were exposed up until today, because you have a very elaborate portfolio. Well, yeah, I guess I think that comes with being old. That's the way I look at it. Um, so, yeah, I started in technology in the 80s. Uh, and um, for various reasons, um, my, my coding began with um, Apple IIs and Apple Soft Basic and Apple Assembly Language and things like that. I was actually, that was when I was living in Greece, and um, rather than spending some money we had to buy a car, we decided we would buy one of these new contraptions called a computer, and that was such a fascinating thing to work with and play with that that's that's really where uh, I got my start all those years ago and then kind of moved on from there through the PC world and DOS and Windows and various programming languages, uh, Pascal and C and Visual Basic and Delphi and then Java and even a little PHP and Perl. And then it was about um, 18 years ago, I guess, that I, I sort of came to my, my enduring language of choice, which was Python. Awesome. Now, for so you were in, um, I'm sorry, please remind me of what, we probably have to cut that part out, Cece, I'm sorry. Um, you said that you were based in which country, Naomi? I was I was in Athens, Greece at the time. I was was teaching at an Anglo-American school uh, just outside of Athens, and um, it was um, you know computers were just starting. Personal computers were just starting to become really popular, so that was what we did. We got an Apple II. It it had a special uh, ROM chip so that it could display Greek characters, which sometimes in the heat it would do without being asked to. Uh, but yeah, that's where I got my start. That's awesome. So like you, and that was like an Apple too. So to see like, to go from back then, right, in the 80s to, the, to today, like how do you manage to handle that difference? Like, is it kind, like, do you feel, like, I don't know, like, how do you feel about that, to see so much changing within technology um, and to be able to, to say a statement like that? Um, I think it's, it, it has been an enormous change in some ways. Uh, you know, in some ways, coding 
remains difficult and frustrating. We haven't really changed that. We, we've changed the amount of things we can do. Uh, in other ways, though, with the change, uh, I think one thing is, um, is staying curious about what's going on. Um, I've known people who sort of like, oh, well, no, this is my spot, and they sort of complacently settle into it, and then eventually they get sort of shifted off to the legacy department, and then eventually they are, well, out of work. Uh, so I, I think this curiosity about what's going on, uh, an interest in what's developing is kind of a key. Uh, you cannot, of course, keep up with everything, more so now as, as there are so many things going on, but uh, still being interested in what is, is current and in whatever area it is that particularly interests you, uh, I think is really the way to go. So I don't feel as though it's been this huge shock because I've always been trying to stay with what's happening. I love that. I love that you because immediately when you started listing out all the different programming languages that you know that you have experience with my immediate question was how are you you know how do you manage um, learning so many different things like I know like for me so right I'm C sharp dev um, and of course there's some front-end stuff HTML CSS JavaScript some of the basics Java um, but I struggle with kind of like the shiny object-ism um, where every time I, I, I find out about a new, you know, IDE or a new program, like I want to learn it. Um, but I'm trying to become more of a master um, at a, a few things and then branch out. So how, what kind of advice would you give to people who are interested in everything like you, right? Like you're, you're very curious, um, you have some years of experience here, but you know, how, what kind of advice would you give to people who are trying to truly learn and master their language? Well, I think it helps to, what should I say, to kind of stay anchored on something. Um, so, you know, in, in my particular case, I'm not somebody who really enjoys front-end work. Um, I've occasionally done some, I've occasionally done some design things, but it's it's not really what makes me happy. My What makes me more happy is uh, working on kind of backend systems and uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I try to keep in mind then what it is I'm interested in. And as I look at these new things, I, I try to look at them in terms of what I already know. So that makes picking up some of the new things somewhat easier. Um, you know, most of the languages I've listed all have kind of a, a distinct similarity to each other. Um, but then, you know, it, it's also the case that I wanna stay with the thing that, um, you know, has, has been the best for me. So that's why, you know, in my case, as I say, it's kind of, back-end, ETL, data pipelines, and you know, for that, it's always happened that, um, that Python has been a good choice. So I have worked you know, over the years to, to kind of deepen my understanding there. And um, I will say, if you can manage to do that, you start seeing the rewards, you start seeing the benefits of that deeper understanding, and then, that kind of becomes a little bit of a virtuous cycle in that you want to keep on building with that. That's awesome. And I, I like what you said about, um, you know, from curiosity, but really 
understanding, like what are those benefits, what are those word, rewards that make people excited about, um, you know, learning new technology and, and focusing on those things. So for your, so you mentioned, you know, that we should stay anchored. Would you can say that Python is your anchor or what was your first anchor, like before you even learned Python? I, I think the one before that uh, was, was C. I mean, that was, was back in the day when pretty much everything was in C. That was, that was very much a dominant language. Um, and I know I spent a lot of time doing kind of the same thing where I would, oh, look at this language. Oh, look at that language that's useful. But then sort of come back and where I really worked on sharpening my skills and deepening my understanding was that. Uh, and then, as I say, it, it became Python. And kind of to your point, I actually expected, I would say the first, the first 10 years, I really expected that I would find something more interesting to me than Python. Mm -hmm. um, because there's always all of this new stuff going along. I mean, isn't it just a matter of time? Uh, so I was really <laughs> uh, expecting that, you know, Maybe it's not around yet, but soon there will be something that I'm going to find as, as, as interesting as this language, and I'm going to go ahead and pursue it. For whatever reason, I, I'm not sure that I can say why, um, that hasn't happened. So now, you know, yeah, we're getting close to 20 years, and I'm still learning Python. There are still things I'm figuring out. So I, I, I may be here for a while. I love it. I, you know, I... Um... In my short time of being a developer for the past six years, I um, really admire, I've noticed that some of the best developers are the ones who, like you said, are always learning. But what really stuck out to me, right, like with your amazing portfolio of work and all the great things that you do within technology is that you said, I'm still learning and there's still things I'm figuring out in Python. And you're the chair, right, of the Python Software Foundation. So to hear you say that, um, for some of the, my listeners who are listening right now, you know, wherever you're starting, like whether you're like, I don't know what in the world, half the things that Naomi and Ariana are talking about right now, just know that even the best developers out there in the world are still learning and that you, you can continue to get better as you read and as you learn and as you get books like Naomi's book. Um, but yeah, just make sure that you are feeling encouraged. So I just wanted to plug that quick tidbit. Yes, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Because there are developers out here who will act like they know everything. And I'm like, whenever I meet someone like that, my immediate response is, okay, they don't know as much as they really think they do. <laughs> now, Naomi, with all of this awesome experience, like, I know you've had some um, experience with developing developer teams, right? So building these teams, whether it's for a project um, or an organization, whether in the corporate world or even maybe on some of your own personal projects, what advice would you give to some of our listeners who are having challenges building the right dev team? Um, it's, it's difficult, I think it's probably wise to keep in mind that it's an art, not a science. Um, but, you know, I would say that, that the key thing in building teams, well, there are a few things. So first of all, uh, I try not to be too hung up on exact credentials. Um, you know, my teams, 
not surprisingly, work in Python. And when we're hiring somebody, yes, we want to know that they have some Python just because we can't spend our time teaching. That's, that's not what, our, what, what our, the team is there for. Uh, but beyond that, we tend not to do things like um, the whiteboarding exercises and, and asking the trick programming questions. Uh, those, those things are really discouraged when, when we're doing interviews. Um, you know, we do give people a, a, a couple hour take home simple thing to do, where really the idea is that, you know, somebody who's going to work with us can, can absolutely do this thing. It's usually very simple, something like make an API that says, hello, John, or whatever your name is. Um, but then, you know, it gives us a chance to talk about, okay, so why'd you do this? Or suppose we changed things so we had to do this other thing. How would you change what you did? Uh, so we can do that to kind of get a general idea of whether or not the person, you know, knows our basic area. But then a lot of what we do when, when with my teams when we're building a team is more talk about you know, try to get a sense for that person and uh, how they would be to work with, how they would contribute, things like that. So, um, you know, with, with, with my teams, everybody, everybody interviews. And um, we're, once you develop a culture for doing things like that, it, it kind of also reinforces itself. You know, if somebody starts asking unfair questions, everybody's going to, no, no, that's not how we do things, right? Uh, so I think that all helps to get uh, a group of people that gel together. Um, and then, you know, there's also the issue of how you get people who are different from you. Because I think, you know, one of the strengths that you can build for a team is having people who look at the world in different ways. And that, you know, there are lots of axes for that. And certainly there are some obvious ones like gender and uh, ethnicity, race, things like that. Um, and, and there are some other things like maybe uh, neurodiversity and, and other things that you can think about. But I mean, I think trying to develop a culture where we're not only open to allowing somebody like that to come in, but where we actually kind of cast that different perspective as something we would value is, is, a, is another key thing. And then I guess I would also say that particularly for people who are in the, in the world of hiring, trying to make your networks and your experience as broad as you reasonably can, given whatever environment you're in, is, is the other thing that you think about. So that, you know, you try to build a culture, not just of you, the person that is maybe the hiring manager, but of the whole team of, you know, we want to get people that we can work with, but also people who can bring something different that we don't have. And how do we find those people? Those, those are the things that I think about. I love that. Um, and I love how you talked about the different um, kind of like not the, the different areas of diversity that you guys focus on. And I think like for some companies, I, I, I kind of like some of these big corporations, um, I, I hope that they can see that diversity in so many different levels 
creates such an edge on innovation. I mean, like you said, like different perspectives, people from different countries, gender, all of these things, they, and they help to create a more inclusive society. And if anything should be inclusive, it should definitely be our tech. Um, so that, that culture that you're building is important. Um, and for our listeners, um, make sure you're taking notes from Naomi right now because those are um, some good gems that she dropped. Um, you said something, Naomi, um, about networking and experience and how, you know, our listeners should really uh, try to be in different spaces to, you know, to find these um, competitive um, developers and, and team members. Um, but what stuck out the most was when you said that you guys don't, you're not too keen on the exact credentials of people who are applying. And there are a lot of people who I meet who, you know, they say, I don't have a degree, but I've developed, like, you know, this system and this system, and I'm, you know, fluent in Python, C-sharp, Java. And so I am curious to know, from an industry perspective, um, what are some of the, what, what's some advice you would give to someone who's applying for a position who, you know, doesn't have a degree? Like, what, what are some things that you look in in particular um, that would make this person a good candidate for you? Um, well, I mean, that's, that's a fair question since I think right now out of my current team is, is six people. Um, and I think two of us have computer science degrees. I'm not one of them. In fact, my, my degree wow. is in classical languages and literature. Um, but I think that you look at, um, other things they've done. I mean, now for example, um, I found that one academic area that prepares people well for being uh, developers is actually the area of um, physics, chemistry, things like that. These are people who are used to dealing with hard problems. Quite often, maybe they're used to dealing with big data sets, things like that. Uh, they, they, they seem to be good at thinking about these things. So, you know, there's that kind of thing where maybe you can bring uh, whatever background you've got that, that maybe is, is academic, you can bring to bear. Uh, you know, on the flip side, I've also found people who've done a lot of work with languages like I have uh, also can, um, from a different angle, can think about programming as yet another language uh, another way of, 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 of communicating, if you will. So, you know, from the academic background, there's that, but there's also, I think, just the, um, the projects and the way that people may have approached things in the past. So I look for people who have been willing to tackle hard and interesting problems, um, who have shown that they've managed to stick with things and figure things out. And I think that's actually very important because that's what a developer's day-to-day -day is, right? You face, actually, you said it when we were setting up, we solve problems. Uh, so I like to see people who have been willing to uh, get in there and work on a problem and figure out an answer. That's awesome. And yeah, for the listeners, again, for you guys who are listening and, you know, you're thinking about, you know, maybe changing your career, um, just know that it's possible. And Naomi said it earlier, like, she's always learning. Good developers are always learning. We never know it all. 
um, from the get-go. Um, and so, um, yeah, whether I, so I did a coding, so I actually dropped out of college um, and I ended up doing a coding boot camp. And I remember majority of the people in the coding boot camp, some of them had, most, most of them had degrees. I think it was only three of us who didn't finish college. And, um, but there was a, a guy who was there who he just graduated from his CS degree at a local school here in Grand Rapids. And he said that he was coming to the coding boot camp because he felt like, in particular for this computer science program at this college, um, he felt like it, it didn't prepare him, right? And so he decided to take this three-month boot camp and learned so much more than he actually did at his, at his, at, in his program, like so much more experience because it's more hands-on. Um, and so this isn't like a, um, a call for, you know, you guys to like drop out of school, do whatever you want, your visions, your goals, um, but just know that there are resources out here for you to learn um, and you can um, join great teams like Naomi's team and other teams um, and, you know, there is opportunity out here for you. So that, that means a lot um, to our listeners hearing that come from you, Naomi. Yes, absolutely. And to your point about um, university and college level computer science programs, I certainly wouldn't say they don't learn things. What I would say is a lot of the things that they learn don't have a lot to do with being a day-to-day -day developer or engineer. They have to do with theoretical computer science. Right, yes, I totally agree, totally agree. Now, Naomi, your, one of your um, anchors, right, is Python. So how, how did you get introduced to Python? When did this obsession kind of start? Or not obsession, but this passion for the language? <laughs> Well, so I can, I can tell you almost to the day, it was late August in 2001. I was at, um, at Linux World, the Moscone Center in San Francisco. And um, I was there for their, the tutorial days that they had. That was all that my boss would let me attend. Uh, and um, one of the tutorial days was this guy, uh, Guido Van Rossum, who was, uh, doing a day-long tutorial on his then very unknown language, Python. Uh, so I went to those and, you know, I, I can recall asking a, a, certainly what I thought was a stupid question or two at the time, but um, it, was, it was just a very captivating thing to sort of talk through this. I was, you know, as I said before, kind of coming from, uh, I guess, thinking in C, so Python was, was somewhat of a paradigm shift, but it, it just really captivated me with the, um, with the clarity of expression, the readability, uh, just the way of thinking about things and, and, uh, and coding that uh, was, was different enough from C that I was really quite taken by it. So uh, yeah, that was, actually, um, that was actually how I got my start. And, you know, at the time, one of the things we were doing, I was at, at a school, um, was teaching, we required all ninth graders to take a, a class in which they wrote code. So I was so taken by the possibilities of Python as a coding language that on the plane back, 
I, I pretty much rewrote our, our ninth grade curriculum so that we would use Python rather than um, Pascal. Super quick commercial, guys. Thank you for listening. But Naomi Sidir, she has written a book. The title of this book is The Quick Python Version 2.3. It's the perfect book if you're looking to learn how to code, don't know where to start, all that good stuff. Naomi has a book for you. Um, we want to give a super shout out to Manning Publications for sponsoring this podcast and also giving away five free coupon codes that people can use to get her book for completely free free um it's the ebook version go to our website wallwaytech.com slash podcast click the link below to have a direct link to those resources thanks for tuning in so naomi you are the author of the quick python book version 2.3 that um was released last year in 2018 um what was the reason behind why you wrote your book how long did it take what was that process like yeah well so um I actually, it's it's a little bit of a roundabout story. I actually started back in uh, 2007, 2008, working on a Python book for uh, for a different publisher. Uh, and due to, you know how they say sometimes creative differences, due to a disagreement with the editor, that, that project never actually came to light. But about the time that that, came to an end, um, my my agent uh, actually got in touch with me about another book, uh, and that was um, Manning's Quick Python book, which had originally been written in uh, 1999 for a Python 1.5. And they wanted to, as Python 3 was coming out, they wanted it rewritten for Python 3. And um, I went ahead and, and took that project, I guess foolishly thinking, Oh, it was just a rewrite of an existing book. How hard could it be? Uh, in fact, the differences between Python 1.5 and Python 3 were so extensive that it turned out to be a lot more work than I expected. Um, but um, you know, that was how we we came out with the the second edition, which was in uh, 2010. That came out, uh, and then. You know, as Python has continued to go, and you know the adoption of Python three has continued to to expand, um, we decided we wanted to do a refresh, and that's what what led to the uh, to the third edition, which came out last year. Uh, also, you know, we wanted to add exercises and more explanatory material, and it's really kind of fascinating. Over the years, the kind of the focus of a book like that sort of changes. So um, the very first edition of that book, they had things about the Zope web platform, which isn't really a thing anymore. And then when I did it 10 years ago, we talked a lot about um, basic web apps. And now this edition, we talked a lot about um, data engineering and um, you know the things that you need to do in order to do data science. So, um, you know, all of that is is really sort of interesting. I think I will say if anybody's is interested or thinking about it, you never do a tech book for the money because you're lucky if you're going to make minimum wage, honestly. Um, I mean, I think I have, but that's mainly because the book has been fairly successful over the years. Um, and I didn't realize it, but one of the things that you do get out of doing a tech book is there is still a a real sort of recognition boost, I suppose respect boost that you get from having a book in print. Yeah. 
This, this, is, this is something I didn't think about when I accepted the, the, the job, but in fact, this is something I've seen over the years. Um, I, I always joke that it just instantly makes you smarter. Uh, so uh, the, those are the things. But I mean, you know, having been a teacher and having taught coding, my, my main like motivation for putting in all of that time was always just, you know, that, that kind of desire to, to put down the explanations for other people in a way that you felt would be helpful. That's awesome. And, you know, I, when you talked to me, you said um, the recognition boost. I mean, it's, I mean, that is, I mean, it's an extensive process. Not, not to mention, I mean, of course you have your teacher's experience, but the amount of time that you have to take to write the book, make sure that the exercises can be understood, you know, on certain levels for any and everyone. Um, I think that's amazing. And I think, What's even more powerful about you writing this book about Python is that people are going to be able to understand the foundations of what could build who knows what. Um, and so, you know, that's the exciting part about, you know, learning these new programming languages. But I'm sure you get probably some sense of, you know, excitement of like, oh, wow, like someone could read this book and build the next I don't know, Amazon, Dropbox, what YouTube, right? Because YouTube and Dropbox are, you know, developed using Python. Absolutely. That's amazing. I love it. Um, so, yeah, guys, so you, I know you guys have already heard the commercial, but we do have some coupon codes um, for Naomi's book. Um, and we have the links and everything on the website, but also in the description below of the podcast. So make sure you go support this book, share it with friends. And if you're looking to learn um, how to code, I think that Python is a really good language to start with. Um, and Naomi's book will definitely help you with that. So Naomi, you're also the co-founder of TransCode. Um, tell us about TransCode and what you guys do and why you started the organization. Um, you know... I guess the the issues with trans folk are are much in the news these days, and you know sometimes very uncomfortably for trans folk, honestly. But um, you know, back when when this happened, there there wasn't really much of that going on. This was uh, you know several years ago um, when I transitioned, and um, it happened that in uh, 2013. Um, Dr. Courtney Ziegler um, actually created in Oakland, created an event he called TransHack, which was, as far as I know, one of the first gatherings that was sort of took the, the hackathon model and applied it to, to trans issues. And um, when I found out about it, I, of course, was eager to go. I went and it was, it was really um, a very powerful weekend uh, in the sense that there were a bunch of trans folk there who were there to build things with technology. And it was centered around us and it was safe for us. And that was, and you know, and sadly kind of remains fairly unusual. It was a place where you could actually breathe. Wow. Uh, and you know, that that was very, very powerful for me. And then as it happened uh, in 2014, I um I was posted to London for a couple of years to to help start a company for my my parent uh, for my employer, and um, and I always had this kind of at the back of my mind: wouldn't it be interesting if we could do that someplace else? Uh, and um, 
I accidentally had a, a Twitter exchange with, with Jessica Rose, who um, does a lot of work with diversity in, in technology and developer relations and things like that. Uh, and we kind of came up agreeing, well, why don't we do one in the UK? Yeah. Uh, and, and that began then about a, a nine-month odyssey, I suppose, where it felt like I tried to talk to and, and sort of go out for coffee or a drink or something with every trans technologist in London. Uh, I'm sure I didn't, but it seemed like that. Uh, and, you know, finding a venue and, and all of those things that you go through when you're trying to start uh, a new event. Uh, but, you know, in fact, we did in um, the spring of 2015, we, we had our first event. I think we had 65 people, something like that, which was, was beyond what we'd We'd even hoped, you know, when you start out organizing an event, you tell yourself, okay, look, if 10 people come, I'll be happy. <laughs> uh, and, and so this, this was, was a big success that way. And um, the, the thing that I was looking to replicate, which again, was just that feeling of feeling safe, centered, and able to breathe, right. was replicated. I mean, there were people who came to that event who... Uh, then went ahead and said, okay, I wasn't, I didn't know if I could handle it before, but okay, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and start, you know, being who I am, uh, which is, you know, very, very powerful for me. Um, and, you know, we also had people met who ended up starting a business and just, just various things by creating that kind of community that had never, never been tried there before. So, you know, we've had, we had one Transcode event in Chicago. There's been one that's happened in Zurich, but I think now we're up to about our 12th or 13th one uh, in the UK. It's become a part of PyCon UK that they have a Transcode event the day before. Uh, it's become part of Pi Londinium, which is a Python conference held in Bloomberg in London that they have that as one of their events. So, that it, it's taken on its own life. I, I have not been involved in, I don't think I've been involved in more than maybe about half of those events, which is one of my gauges for success. I no longer have to be personally pushing it through. It just happens because people want it to happen. I mean, that, that type of impact where you create this safe space for people to come to you know, feel 100% themselves um, and, you know, driving creativity and innovation is just amazing. I mean, that, I, you know, I'm curious to know, do you have a story, and this is like totally on the whim, but do you, is there anyone in particular, there's one person you said who, um, you know, said that they feel comfortable and encouraged to uh, be themselves in all spaces. But is there any story in particular of someone you met who came up to you and said, this is exactly what I needed? There, actually, um, actually, there are several. I'm just trying to think there was, was one person I know who was, was working as a software developer. And mm -hmm. um, basically, there they were working, I think, in a company that was a fairly, had a fairly macho kind of, you know, male-centered atmosphere. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I, they were just at the very beginnings of their 
their experience um, when when we first met. And again, as I say, it was really uh, at the time I was trying to build up interest for this. If I found out about you and you were within range and and you know were at all interested in this, I would I would go out and meet you and try to talk you into you know being involved. And that was that was how I met this person. And um, they. They were really when I first met them at the point of oh yeah I don't I don't know if I can do this I mean I, I'm exploring this a little bit I'm trying to think about it I certainly know that I you know this this would make me happier would make me more comfortable but there are a lot of of things involved that I just I don't think I can manage it uh, and yet they did come to that day and um, I think it was within a couple of months that they made the decision, okay. And and this is what they told me. It's like, I didn't think I could do it until I was actually in this environment for a day and how that felt. And I decided it was worth doing it. Um, so it was really, as I say, within a couple of months, they had made the decision that they needed to do, you know, the various things they needed to do in order to, to live as themselves. Wow. That's, yeah. That, I mean, that type of impact is, you know, you just can't buy that type of experience and those type of um, interactions. That's just amazing. And I, I my, myself find um, it challenging um, being, you know, a, a black woman in tech um, in a predominantly, let's, we can all say it, a predominantly white male, right, field. And I'm so grateful for these safe spaces where, we can go in a hundred like I can go into a space and talk about Jay-Z's news album and Chance the Rapper and no one will look at me like I'm crazy and I can still go out and build like the next Amazon like that's like the type you know and I'm you know I'm just super grateful for you know their platforms like Black Women Talk Tech, Afro Tech so all of these spaces um, are so important and diversity inclusion is like that's like the heart and the core of what I do outside of like technology is making sure that people um, belong and they feel welcomed in this world and to ex but it's even more powerful like I know I said this a million times but even more powerful when you have a safe space where people feel comfortable but in that space they're creating like so many different projects and, and you know and technology that can impact so many other people's lives so that's just amazing and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing in the UK with Transcode and um, I'm glad that it's, you know, taken off and that you don't even have to be there all the time for it to run. That's a great sign that it's something that, you know, the world needed anyway. So that's awesome. Um, now, Naomi, you're awesome. you're the chair. I mean, there's so many good things we've talked about. You've, like from We're knocking off the things off our list, but you're the chair of uh, Python um, Software Foundation. Um, how did you get in, involved in this? I mean, we know that you're a developer, but what was kind of that conversation of joining the board for this organization? So, the, you know, the Python Software Foundation, as you mentioned at the top of the show, is sort of holds the intellectual property and the, the you know the open source uh, quality of of Python. It also is. Um, interested in uh, fostering a, a, a global community, uh, a global and diverse community of Python programmers. So, you know, that means that we put on PyCon every year. Uh, and um, 
that was really the way that I started uh, becoming involved with the community when the, the first PyCon was in 2003, and I went to that. And in fact, I've been to every, every single PyCon, PyCon US, that, that has happened since. Um, but uh, it was about, oh, I guess it was nine or 10 years ago, um, I got involved in helping put on PyCon. Uh, I, I created the poster session part of PyCon as the conference was new. We didn't had a poster session before. Um, and I did that for a couple of years and decided, well, what else can I do? So then I, I, I sort of organized an education summit for educators to get together as part of the conference and then something for introduction to sprinting. And, and now I've been working with um, our, our PyCon Charlas, which is the Spanish track for, uh, for, for PyCon and something we call the hatchery, which is for uh, a, a structured way to add new events to PyCon so that people can make proposals and we can do other things. So all of that meant that basically I was involved in the key event relating to the Python Software Foundation and the Python community in the US. Uh, and um, I was uh, in uh, 2011, I was, I was elected as a, a member of the foundation. Uh, in, in those days, you had to be voted in as a member. We now have a lot of other ways to become members, but that was, that was the way that happened. Um, and then um, in, in 2015, I decided that I would run for election to the board. So uh, unlike some nonprofits, the Python Software Foundation board is, is elected. Um, so I ran for election. I I won, uh, well, not won. I mean, I was one of the people selected. And um, then um, the following year, I was you know, a vice chair and, and did a lot of work in terms of leading meetings. And then after that, I decided, well, I will offer to be chair of the board. And that's one of those jobs not a lot of people want. So I, uh, I, I have been there that these three years. So um, it, it, it's... Um, for me, it's, it's been you know, sort of a, a, a long evolution in terms of various things that I've done uh, with the community before getting onto the board. That's amazing. And with PyCon, I know that it's already passed this, uh, this year um, because it was in May of this year, but you know, are there ways where um, you know, listeners can get involved um, with PyCon for next year in 2020, or um, what would be some suggestions that um, you would have? So when people ask about becoming involved in, in, in Python communities, um, I, always, I always give the answer that they can, should kind of think globally, but uh, act locally. And that is, we would love to have people become members of the Python Software Foundation. Uh, if, if people go to python.org slash PSF, uh, just just creating an account there means that you're a free member of the Python Software Foundation. It, that doesn't do much other than, you know, you get added to a community mailing list where occasionally you'll get notices of what's going on in the community and you can make a few contacts that way. Um, but, you know, you can also, um, you know, become a supporting member of the PSF, which is basically a, a $99 a year donation. 
Um, and there again, we don't we don't offer um, all sorts of fancy benefits or anything. It's really a chance to help the PSF do its work in building this global inclusive community. So, you know, for reference, Python Software Foundation uh, gave um, in 2018 we gave over $235,000 to community events around the world. Uh, and you know, on about 25% of that was Africa, 20% was South America, a little bit less than 20% North America, uh, then you know, Europe, Asia, Australia. So we're trying to support events all around the world. You know, and a lot of those those grants that we gave were on the order of maybe a thousand dollars or less, and it was um, you know a Django Girls event in Ghana, or you know, a, a data science event in uh, Brazil, or something like that. So, you know, the people who choose to become supporting members and do that donation are in effect directly helping us uh, do that work. But in terms of acting, there are meetups and Python events all around the world. And we know because we support them. And so that's the best way to start out with the community is to actually join a Python meetup, a Python event. We are fostering regional and local PyCons as much as we can. That's where people can get involved and really have an impact on the community around them. So that, that is always my advice. That's awesome. Naomi, thank you for sharing that information. I'll make sure to tag those links that you uh, just mentioned so that way if people want to read more, learn more about the foundation, um, they can do that on the website and I'll put those in the podcast details as well. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Naomi, to end this on an even better note, are there any like awesome um, projects that you're currently working on per personally or maybe with your team? Um, that you'd like to share with some of our listeners? or And it doesn't even have to be tech-related. It can be in general, in relation to who you are. <laughs> yeah, well, so... And, uh, I, I do have to admit that, particularly with the, the PSF and, and, and those community things, I don't have as much, as much free time as I might have. Um, one thing that I have been fascinated with... Um, the past couple of years has been the the question of uh, how we we address the problem of translation of of our materials into other languages. Uh, I have always been kind of what I what I would call a language nut. I've always been interested in human languages, uh, and um, I've become you know increasingly interested in this question of okay so. The tech world is predominantly an English speaking world. And that leaves out a lot of people who for various reasons, it might, you know, lack of resources largely, uh, are not comfortable in English. So how do we, how do we share that? How do we bring them in? What are the ways that we can can help them access materials without just saying, "Oh, you got to know English," which is is an awful answer. So um, I've been working some. We have uh, in the PSF we have a translation working group where we're trying to work on things like that. Uh, and I've also been fooling around a little bit with some things that kind of take um, kind of 
follow various readability indexes and things like that to see. One of the things that people who don't speak English natively struggle with is complicated English. There is actually a subset of English called basic English, and we could make a lot of people's lives easier if we had a way of, you know, analyzing our text to say, oh, really, you probably should change this thing so that uh, it's easier to understand. It's more in line with basic English, things like that. So I have been experimenting a little bit with that. I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a project, let alone an awesome project. But that's one of the things that, that I have been looking at is just, you know, how, how, can we, how can we get around that problem? Because if, you know, like both of us, you're a native English speaker, you tend not even to realize how difficult it can be to function in this world in, in a language that is not your native language. I, I, I love the common theme in everything you say and everything you do um, is, it is obvious that, you know, of making um, tech inclusive, right? And I, I love how you're thinking about um, other people other than yourself um, who, you know, speak a language, um, you know, that isn't native to yours. Um, and so that's amazing because I, even I can be, you know, admit, like I speak English, I would never have thought about, you know, um, you know, translating a book into Spanish or, you know, Greek or whatever um, the language may be. So I think that's amazing. And I know before um, in our, some of our, one of our previous meetings, you mentioned that you even do some of your speeches um, for some of your speaking um, engagements in Spanish, which is like insane. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. I understand where they're coming from. It's hard. <laughs> I'm sure. I can only imagine. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to find some like deep revelation in between things, but like, I'm even thinking about, um, the impact that you're making when it comes down to, okay, creating these, you know, you know, translating resources, right. In Spanish or different languages in general. Um, but, you know, thinking about the community, like, I, I like to look at it from a perspective of like, what are these barriers that people are facing, right? So, like, if people can't understand how to code, like, this affects their community, this affects efficiency in the local businesses, in their countries, in their cities, in their towns and villages, and so, you know, this isn't just some, like, you know, cool, fun project where we're like, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, make it easier for people to read, but no, we have to look about how, you know, this technology and, and these languages that we're writing our books in impacts like the culture for other communities. So I think that's awesome that you're focused on that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, but Naomi, that is all we have for you today on the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast. I am so honored that you took the time out to be with here, us here today. Um, and I'm sure all of our listeners really enjoyed this episode. Again, it was my pleasure. Naomi, you are awesome. Um, again, got the information um, below in this um, podcast episode uh, for where you can purchase her book um, on the Manning Publications website and then also on mine as well. Um, again, the name of her book is The Quick Python Book, third edition. This is Naomi Cedar. She was here on the podcast um, with us here today. We are so grateful for you.